So thanks everyone who came to the garden party on Saturday. That was a great, uh, that was a great time. That was really brilliant. So. That's great, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to try and do it in the winter as well. We need to get some space heaters so, you know, it's warm outside in the winter. We can go in the, uh, in the pond, in the, what do you call it, the, the spa pool in the winter. That'd be fun. So, uh, yeah. Well, we're going to, uh, yeah, no, Andy, of course, was baptised. Um, so that, that's, that's great, Andy. See you again. So we're going to start, uh, we're going to start with a prayer, and then we're going to uh, have our church for half an hour, and then we've got KSC today, so there you go. Right, so let's, uh, let's start with a prayer. <clears throat> Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your Son, and for your Word, and for your love for us, and for how you're working with us all as a group and as individuals. And we pray, Father, that we'll be open to your spirit and that we will receive your spirit and go your way and come to the life eternal when your dear son returns. And we pray that you will be with every single one of us here and bless us and guide us to the end. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Right, so we're up to Acts chapter 6. Yeah, there's a couple of seats uh, still free down there. And this is... The early church had just started, the Lord Jesus was, was crucified, three days later rose again, 40 days later ascended to heaven, and they were preaching and people were getting baptised, and there was always problems, and they were persecuted, but somehow people wanted to come forward for the Lord. And so verse 1, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, you read that quite often, the number of the believers kept multiplying as more got baptised. And Paul says in Galatians that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and his kingdom, was preached to Abraham. And what did God tell Abraham? He told him, you're going to have one special seed or son, that is Jesus, and that special seed is going to multiply as many as the stars of the sky and as many as the grains of sand on the seashore. And so we want to know how we can become that seed of Abraham because we're told that that seed of Abraham is going to inherit the earth forever, the promise of everlasting life. Well, again, Paul says that if and only if as many of us as have been baptised into Jesus Christ have put on Christ then we are the seed or the children of Abraham, we are the true Israel of God, spiritual Israel, and heirs according to the promise, the promise of everlasting life in God's kingdom on this earth. So that is the promise of the gospel. That's why Paul says the gospel was preached to Abraham. So he was told, this one son you're going to have, this descendant who is Jesus, is going to multiply into many countless people. And every time someone is baptised, they become part of that seed, and the seed multiplies. And so what that means then is that when all these guys are getting baptised in Jerusalem in the first century, the seed was multiplying. That's why I encourage people to get baptised, because then you become one of the children of Abraham. You become the spiritual Israel, the spiritual people of God. 
And we've become that new nation. Just like Jewish people are scattered all over this world, living in the UK or America or wherever they might live, but they have a different identity. I don't belong to you guys, I'm part of something else. That's the same with us, that we also, as true genuine believers, are the Israel of God or the people of God, and although we live in this world, we live in Croydon or wherever, we have our own identity, our own group, our own way of being, and our own relationship with God, and we treat all this Gentile stuff around us kind of, you know, like, well, that's that, but I'm going someplace else. So, the number of the disciples was multiplying, and but there then arose a murmuring amongst the believers. This is how it is, you know? It starts off all wonderful, and then but. There's always a but. And that's, that's how life goes. It's two steps back and three forward. It's a jagged graph, if you were to map it over time. And that's how it is with all our lives, the idea that life is endlessly awesome. This is nonsense, you know, go to church on Sunday, how are you? Oh, awesome. How was your week? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, get real. That is not how life is for all of us, and it is not life, how life is actually for anybody. It is up and down. That's how it is. That's how life is. And that's how life is in the Lord and with the Lord. That's how it goes. So, yeah, they were multiplying, uh, but there arises this murmuring. Because some people have got so switched on that they sold what they had. It wasn't just poor people getting baptised. There was wealthy people and they sold their property and gave the money to the church. And the church was dividing the money up. It's daily giving out welfare. And some of the, the foreign Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews, complained that our needy people, our widows, etc., they're getting less than the kind of true blue uh, local Hebrew uh, Christians. And murmuring. No one said it out loud, but pss, 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 gossip, gossip, innuendo, stuff like that. And Paul says, don't murmur. Don't murmur. This is, the, this is what breaks up relationships. It's what breaks up societies, breaks up churches. This, you know, under the bedclothes kind of gossip, murmuring, etc. So, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not fitting that we should forsake the teaching of the word of God and handle finances. Therefore, brothers, choose from among you seven men of good report, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will continue earnestly in prayer and in the service of the word. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip Proclus, like and these guys. They set them before the apostles, when they prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Well, you see how fickle people are. You know what the word fickle means, that people are one thing one minute, then there's something else the other, the, you know, the next minute. That when Jesus, first of all, started preaching and doing miracles, oh, they all thought he was wonderful. Oh, yes, 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 we all love you, Jesus. But then, when they saw that he was not going to give them the, what they wanted, which was freedom from the Romans and all that stuff, oh, they turned against him. And the whole crowd, one minute, is shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna, to the king who comes in the name of the Lord when he enters Jerusalem on the donkey. But then, a couple of days later, they're all screaming out, Crucify him, crucify him. 
So, oh yeah, you, he's wonderful. Oh, he's terrible. Crucify him. So they crucify him. And then, oh, he rises from the grave. The disciples start preaching. And now, oh yeah, all of Jerusalem think he's wonderful again. Oh yeah, we want to get baptised. And you're going to see that actually it changes again. It changes again. And we don't want to be like that, fickle. That is, you keep on changing. One, yeah, we're all sick and tired of it when we see it in other people. But one minute, oh, it's one, you know, the guy's one way, he's red hot for this. Oh, the next minute he's, he's off, he's doing his thing somewhere else. And by making a firm commitment to the Lord Jesus in baptism, you stop drifting. You know, one minute I'm a believer, the next minute, well, yeah, sort of, but not very committed. No. You see, as time goes on, you become more stable as a person in every way. Because the Lord Jesus says that we are building a house on a rock, not on, a, not on sand. And we're told that the hope we have of eternity is the anchor of our soul. So you're not going to keep drifting here, there and everywhere. But this is what is solid and what remains. And believe me, I was baptised as a youngster, 16 years old. And now, well over 40 years later, I can tell you that I didn't drift. Of course you sin, of course you fail. But that is the rock, the stability. That God is a rock, Jesus is a rock. The hope of salvation, eternity ahead of us. This is an anchor. Whether you face death, loss, life screwing up or whatever it might be, that is the anchor, that you know that you know, this too shall pass and eternity is ahead of me. So, it also says that many of the priests were baptised, were obedient to the faith. Well, what a turn up, because it was the priests who particularly got Jesus crucified. And in his lifetime, in his three and a half year ministry, he made a special effort with the priests I think we all hate religious hypocrites, right? We hate those kind of people who come over all pious and holy when they're you know, doing something else. Extracurricular. And that is how those guys were. And if I were Jesus, I'd have said, stuff you lot. You know, you, 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 you're fake, you're not sincere. But he actually tries with them. There was a time when he cured a leper. Now, leprosy in those days was not curable, but Jesus cured this leper. In the law of Moses, there's this weird little bit that says, if a leper is cured, is cleansed, then he has to go to the priest and offer a sacrifice. But of course, because nobody ever got cured of leprosy, no one had ever done that. And so, Jesus cures the leper and he says, go to the priests and offer the sacrifice for a witness to them. This guy goes to the priest and says, I got cured of leprosy, huh? No one ever got cured of an incurable disease like leprosy. Yes, I did. How did that happen? Oh, Jesus cured me. All right, and offered the sacrifice. So Jesus set that whole thing up in order to witness to those priests. And you see how it paid off. It paid off after his death because they, they killed him. But he rose again, his men are now preaching the gospel, and these priests get baptised. So, you see, the sort of person the Lord Jesus is, that he's always hoping. He really proactively wants to convert even the religious hypocrites. Now, you and me are weak. 
We're all weak, but we are not religious hypocrites. We're not trying to make ourselves out, you know, some pious sort of person when we're not. We're not like that. So how much more does he want you and me? You see, he focuses on a person, says, oh, you. Oh, I wish I had you. Oh, what can I do to get you on my side? And you see, that's what he's doing with every one of us and what he's doing with many people out in the world. So when you go and talk to people about a gospel and you think, ah, nobody's interested. No, no, no. People are interested underneath. Underneath. They're not interested maybe in religion, going to church and all that. That's fine. But people, you know, everyone's got a hole in their heart that only Jesus can fill. And so the fact that these priests get baptised and repent, I think, is amazing. Because it was, a, let's say, a couple of years before, when Jesus had tried to appeal to them, sort of indirectly, by by curing this guy of leprosy and saying, now you go and tell the priests this, that you've been cured of leprosy as a witness to them. So, you see, he never gives up. The Lord Jesus keeps on trying with people, and that's why when a guy is baptised, that's why it says that all the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents, because somebody somewhere has said yes, and God is trying with this one, trying with that one. That one doesn't want to know. This one's got a new girlfriend, so he's not interested. That one's just divorced and he's all depressed. Uh, and Oh, he's not interested. This one's now caught up making money. He's not interested. Oh, but here's one who is. Wow. All the effort that he's made comes to fruition. That's why you want to be baptised. You, know, you can. Just into Jesus. And it's not a case of going to church, joining a church, all this stuff. Just be baptised into Jesus, as many of you here have been. And you know how we do it, just come back to our place in South Croydon and, and do the baptism, sweet as. Just into Jesus. And I don't know anybody who ever regretted it. Over all the years I've been baptising people, I don't know anybody who ever regretted it, who said, ah, oh, that was a bad move. The bad move sometimes, people might join the church and say, oh, hang, I wish I'd never got involved with those people. They were terrible. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But your relationship with Jesus, you will never regret. So, Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. So Stephen is filled with grace. Now, this is a funny word. It literally means a gift. And God's grace is really his undeserved favour towards us. That is not deserved. It's not that we were righteous or so good and so God, well, rewarded us. You know, this is how we were brought up to think that if you're good, you get a present. If you're good, you get some reward. If you're naughty, you get punished. That's how we were all brought up and that is how life is in this world. But God's grace is something totally different. It's another way of looking at everything. That he says, look, I simply love you. And I simply want to do this for you anyway. Regardless of whether you are, you've been good or worthy or whatever. But the problem is, you've got to believe that grace. You've got to believe it. And a lot of people just can't find it in them to believe that God could be so kind. 
because all their experience of life was of ticking boxes. If I'm good, then I'll get a reward. Oh dear, hang on, I'm not a very good person, so oh yeah, I guess I don't deserve anything. Yeah? That's why there's all these people walking around feeling awful about themselves. I'm a terrible person. It's so sad, because it's not like that. With God, with God's grace, with God's gift. Now, as I say, naturally, we want to make ourselves worthy, you know. I've got to look right. This is not how it is, you know. We sing these hymns, songs and all that off the screen, you know, just as I am. And that is how it is, because you can't actually make yourself look good to God. You can't put on makeup or foundation cream or, you know, look in the mirror, kid yourself, you look all... You look all cool and all that. Yeah, you know, and oh, he's going to be impressed. You can't do that. Because he sees right through to your heart. He knows what you're like. But he simply loves you. He has got a number on you. And that is how it is. Absolutely. And, of course, Paul says, I beg you not to receive the grace of God in vain. You can't just say, oh yeah, well that's pretty cool, God's very kind and loving, oh well, I'm going to get saved, isn't that cool, uh, you know, fine. No, if you see the wonder of it, you cannot be passive to that. You know, as Paul says, you know, let us not continue in sin, that grace may abound. The wonder of it is so great that of itself it changes you. And people, we're all looking for motivation to change you know, people are stuck in addiction, etc. And they don't have the steel inside their soul to resist. And we're all like that. We're all hopelessly weak. We are made of very weak stuff. And people haven't got the iron in the soul, the steel inside them. Right, I'm strong. I'm not going to do it. No, there needs to be another way of looking at, at this. And I suggest that understanding God's grace is what does it, that wow, he accepts me where I am, as I am, simply because he so loves me, wow, regardless of whether I'm going to change, or regardless of my righteousness, he so loves me, wow, that is what will make you change, you know, it's like the guy who's in love with this girl, and she says, yeah, I'll marry you, um, as you are, but he knows that she doesn't like certain things about his behaviour. It could be whatever it might be. It could be cigarette smoking, it could be dope, it could be alcohol. But because she has accepted him as he is, he is motivated, or some people are motivated, thereby to change. And it's not a nice situation if the guy says, huh, yeah, well, she accepted me as I was, oh yeah, well, I'm not going to change. If, he, if you love somebody, you want to please them, right? That is, that's how it goes. You have kids, you love your kids, you want to do what they're going to enjoy and what they like, not what they don't like. And so it is, this is life, that if you love somebody, you want to serve, you want to love them, you, you want to give yourself to them. And so it is with the love of God. He took the first move, absolutely, took the first move. He initiated and we responded. He did all this by grace, and so therefore and thereby we will respond uh, to that naturally. It's not a case of having iron in your soul, steel in your, in your will. No, we don't have that, unfortunately. We are weak. We face temptation, oh, that looks good, well, I'm going to do it. You know? 
But that doesn't mean that you can't overcome temptation. It's just another way of looking at it, that, wow, he loves me. You see, Jesus is real. He's really up there in heaven. He's absolutely there. He's not a figment of our mind. He's there, real, as a person in heaven. He who was once here on this earth is now in heaven, and he will come back to this earth. So, Stephen is full of grace and of power. And there arose some from the synagogue of the freedmen, and they couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So they secretly induced men to say, We heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came on him and seized him and brought him into the council. They stirred up the people. Well, as I said, people are so fickle. One minute, oh, Jesus is wonderful. No, oh, no, no, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. He rises from the dead. Oh, yeah, the disciples start preaching him. Oh, yeah, he's wonderful. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's wonderful. Yeah, 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 I want to get baptized into Jesus. Next minute, these guys agitate them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, the Christians are terrible people. You know, people are so weak because they have no anchor. They, 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 they are just one thing one minute and something else the next. And that is not how we are to be. And we all don't like it when we see it in somebody else. And so, they, they accuse him. They say, we heard him speak blasphemy against God. Really? And so, verse 13, they set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place, that's the temple and the law. They say, He's speaking blasphemy against God because he speaks blasphemy against the temple. He wasn't speaking any blasphemy against the temple. He was simply saying you don't need to go to the temple to have a relationship with God. Anyone, even a Gentile, who's not allowed, wasn't allowed to go into the uh, holy, into the holy part of the temple, uh, can have a relationship with God. Oh no, that's blasphemy. So you see, blasphemy against God for them, meant blasphemy against the temple, against the religious system. And this is how it is. Shay, you're going to get the KFC? No, we're now. Oh, well done. Um, so you see how it goes, that people equate God with the temple, God with the religion. And you see that so often, that people will say, I don't believe in God, because I know all these hypocrites in the church. <laughs> yeah. Sure you know the hypocrites in the church. I don't believe in God, people tell me, because all the religious people are hypocrites. Yeah, sure, they're hypocrites. I don't doubt. People say, oh no, I don't believe in God because I used to go to church, but the pastor took off with a choir girl, and... uh, Yeah, I don't doubt. I don't doubt what you're saying, absolutely. But that, that doesn't mean God doesn't exist. That doesn't mean God doesn't exist just because his representatives aren't, aren't good. And this is the mistake they were making. They were saying, ah, he, he spoke against God because he spoke against their religion. No, that's not that they were equating their religion with God. So you've got to separate church from God. You've got to separate religion from God. You've got to see God for who he is and his son, the Lord Jesus, for who he is. And not get phased, even if the world is full of hypocrites, even if every Christian is a hypocrite, maybe, maybe so, but, although they're not, but okay, even if they are, maybe so, but Jesus himself, 
is real. And he died for you. And we bow before the cross of Calvary and we admit that I'm a sinner. And you died for me. And I love you and I want to give myself to you. That's quite separate from religion, church per se. So, they, they set up false witnesses and they drag him before their council. This is exactly what they did to Jesus. And they killed Jesus on that basis and that's what we're going to read they do to, to Stephen. They're going to stone him to death. we come to that, God willing, tomorrow. But, point is, that the experiences of Jesus on the cross and his falsely being accused, dragged before the council, these become the experiences of, of Stephen. So, what, what happened was that they were identifying with Jesus. And that's what happens in our lives, that we are brought to identity with him, with this man who was of my nature, thank you, who died and rose again. And in some little way, there is a bridge between our experience of life, our suffering of life, here in this world, in Croydon, and him there, 2,000 years ago, dying on the cross. There is that link, there is that bridge. And this is why Paul says that he, by God's grace, tasted death for every man. That there is something of our sufferings in his and this bread and juice, this is the symbol that of his body, of his life, his blood, that I want to identify with him. Now, another, the, the big sign of identity is that you get baptised. You go under the water, that's like death with Jesus. You come up out of the water, that's like resurrection. That's the act of identity. And you go on in your life, identifying with him, that I am in Christ. I'm one of his so it's not just taking the communion, it's not just baptism, it's a life lived in him. So, Paul says, let a man examine himself and so let him take of that bread and drink of that cup. And that's what we're going to do. So let's just, uh, let's just have a prayer for the bread and the cup. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son. And Lord Jesus, we salute you for all that we have seen and known in you. And we take this bread and drink this cup because we want to identify with you. We want you to be in us and we want us to be in you. And we pray that you will fill us with your spirit and your way. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Right, well, um, I see Shay and uh, Leo have got the uh, KFC there. So let's, uh, let's just pray for the food, guys. Heavenly Father, we thank you for KFC, we thank you for the food. We pray that you will strengthen us physically and spiritually, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.